I don't want to overshadow what's uh, going on with your friend. For sure, I want to hear more about that. I just had the most unbelievable encounter this morning. I went to Starbucks, or rather Dunkin' Donuts, for a sandwich. And there was an old man in there, about 60 years old, tall, skinny guy. He heard me mention something about God to my mom on the phone. As I'm leaving 30 minutes later, I'm backing out. I look to the left. He's there asking for my attention. Asked me if I'm part of a church or anything. I say, no. He says, man, I'm really, I said, I'm going to have a little ministry. He says, man, I'm really hurting. He said, I could use somebody to talk to. I've really messed my life up bad. I said, count me in. I pulled my car back in, went inside, talked to the guy for three hours. He's from Los Angeles. He was in Hollywood. He's, He's won an Emmy Award for television. He worked for a television show called Access Hollywood. Had an affair, got hooked on meth lost his whole family, lost everything, man. It, it was unbelievable. And now he's completely homeless, has no money, has nothing, has a girlfriend who has nothing. She was thrown in jail. He's gotten involved in a cash-checking scheme, um, moving money from one bank account to another overseas and back to the United States. Uh, totally just unbelievable story. He's from Germany. Uh, when he was a little kid, his mom locked him in the closet for days he lived in a closet man his whole life he's been so afraid of rejection and he's worked so hard to get love and acceptance from people that he's made one terrible decision after another now he has nothing a couple days ago his car is he let his fiance drive his car and she got in an accident she had drugs on her she went to jail they impounded his car he didn't have the 95 dollars to get the more the, the car out i got to share the whole gospel he has said the sinner's prayer before in the past I knew a little bit about the Bible. I talked to him today about the need to be born again. And I said, you have a struggle with sin? And showed him in the scripture how you can't just say you intellectually believe in Christ. You have to turn from your sin and you have to be filled with the Spirit. And I told him, I said, you know, if you continue in this road, you're going to die and go to hell. I said, that's that's the reality. I said, I'm not your judge, but the Bible will judge you. And the Word says that if you live like this, you're going to go to hell. So I shared the whole scripture with him, got to share a little bit about my story and uh, I asked him if he wanted to be born again. Was he ready to really, truly be born again? And he said, yes, Mike, I am. He said, I, when I walked out there, he said, I knew I was ready. I'm surrendered. I'm, I'm ready. I need help. And um, I held his hands, and I prayed for him right there in the Starbucks, and I prayed for him to receive Jesus Christ and to be born again. And then I called my mom and asked my mom if I could borrow 100 bucks. I took him, drove him up to to get his car out. And, man, he just cried and cried and cried. He has no place to live except for his car. He's living in his car right now. And I didn't feel uh, led to invite him to come stay at my house because of some other... It's kind of hard to explain, but he's gotten himself way involved with some drug dealers. And, I mean, it's bad, bad stuff. So... Um, but anyhow, it was just, it was incredible, man. So that's what I've just come off. I'm exhausted now. I had to listen to him for a long time and, and, um, a little bit tired, but really amazing. Got to, uh, spend a hundred dollars today and hopefully usher in somebody into, into the kingdom. So unbelievable how God will just line it up for you if you are, if you just make yourself available. I definitely want to hear more about your friend, brother, and I'll do whatever I can to help him. You feel free to Give him my name and phone number if he wants to speak. Obviously, I've probably been through everything he's going through and can help him if he's uh, wanting to know what God's ways are in that. So be happy to help in any way I can. Bless you, brother. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. This is truly amazing. My father just amazes me. 
It's 5.47 on July 15th, 2015. Today is the day that I met, <sighs> burned, and he's the homeless meth addict. I led him to the Lord today and prayed for him to receive Jesus Christ and to be born again in the Dunkin' Donuts this morning. And after the three hours where the talking was done, his ultimate need was $95 to get his car back out of impound where his girlfriend had driven it, got in an accident, they impounded it, and he could not afford the $55 to get it out. It had now become 95 after sitting in. <clears throat> I immediately said, I can help you with that. I didn't have the money. I barely had the money in my checking account, but I called my mom. I said, I know my mom will let me borrow the money. And I said, Mom, I'll pay you back. I need to do this. I've, I've been with this guy all day. We need to help him get his car. He needs to be able to live in his car. He has no place to live. So I gave the $100. My mom put the money in the account. I went down, got him his car back, and then I showed up at my mom's house. And, of course, my mom wants me to know that she's concerned about the fact that I didn't give her any time to pray about it or whatever. And I said, you know, Mom, I really hope you'll just trust me. I, I mean, when's the last time I did that? And, you know, believe it or not, my mom was able to remember a time five years ago when I did this. And, um, you know, but that was five years ago. And so I said, Mom, please, you know, we're, we're helping people out. I gave half of my whole day to this guy. I don't have money to give. You guys are giving time to my money to my ministry, and I'm giving the time. I said, you know, it's $100, and Mom was a little bit kind of fleshed out a little bit. And I said, Mom, I hear the flesh speaking. I said, I, but I, I grabbed her hand and told her, I said, I understand what you're saying. And I said, but, you know, we did a good thing for God today. We did a good thing for God today. Don't let the devil ruin us. And, um, you know, she agreed or what have you. And then I, I left. Everything was fine. And then I went out on my bike ride and... The guy had sent me a message saying he doesn't have any place to live, you know, tonight. He's, I guess, given his car to his fiance so she can travel her kids around or what have you. And he says, I don't, I've called a couple places. One won't let me in because I'm still not clean off of the drugs. Another one's full and I don't have anywhere to go. And I, I prayed. I said, God, what do you want me to do? Father, I have this extra room here, but I just cannot see allowing a guy who's just a couple of days off of meth and who has been doing this money laundering thing. I said, the guy's doing something that's illegal. He's been doing, although he's been born again today. And I said, Lord, I, I need your wisdom here. I mean, I don't want to open up this house to have people, the drug dealers come and looking for this guy. And he even mentioned some of that stuff, you know, today. So I'm like, I just can't. But I said, Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do. So I prayed and I got on my bike and I began to feel and sense that it's not the right thing for me to do, that I have to discern that God, and it's not that I wouldn't be willing, because God knew I was willing, but what I felt like is the Lord wants him to learn the consequences, that the only way, I mean, I got him his car back, but he's going to have, I mean, I had to live for four months homeless because I obeyed God. So no homeless guy is going to tell me, you know, well, you don't know what it's like. And I say, well, no, I do. He didn't say that, but I'm just saying, anyhow. So I was praying about it, and just felt peace in my heart that I was supposed to do the right thing. And I just, the right thing was to let him learn how to depend upon the Father, to trust only the Father, to put his heart only into the Father. And 
so I'm down there and I texted him, you know, a couple of messages and I've been listening to some messages by Zach Poonin and Michael commentary. As far as I can remember, this is the very first mention I've made about brother Zach Poonin. I had received an, a, I had received an email contact from a sister in Christ all the way from the island of Ibiza off the coast of Spain back in April of 2015. And in having a few email correspondence with her, she eventually asks me if I've ever heard of a brother named Zach Poonin who is teaching very similar about obedience that I was teaching. So this is how I became familiar with Zach Poonin. Now, what's interesting about this, obviously, Zach Poonin is from Bangalore, India. Now, I don't realize it yet at this point, but Brother Zach Poonin is going to become one of my favorite all-time Christian teachers. And because of the India connection, I'm going to become increasingly aware of and interested in the Indian culture as I listen to more and more of his messages. This is very significant, and this clearly is a part of God's providence and beginning to guide me towards that 212 promise he has for me, my sweet little Persis from where? India. So, may God bless us as we continue to listen. End of commentary. I felt this peace in my heart. Like, I'm like, all right, cool, God, thank you. Because I didn't have any peace about this. I'm like, God, I'm concerned. What do I do? And I said, Lord, I'm not going to sweat this. You're going to speak to me when you're ready, and you'll tell me what to do. And I'll do it whatever you want me to do. So I get down there, and then I'm thinking about the $100 I gave him. And I told my mom, and I said, Father, please give me the $100 back so that I can show my mom that I did this according to your will being done, that I obeyed you that I knew that I was supposed to do this. I said, Lord, please give me the $100 back so that I can pay my mom back for this money. On the way home, I saw two signs, God telling me, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. On the bicycle, God spoke clearly to me. And I was just like, oh God, thank you. I get home, walk in the door just now, I open up my email and a $287 donation I'm going to now be able to give my mom the $100 back. God just returned the money three times that I gave away this morning. I gave away $100, spent half of my day with this guy, and the Lord turned right around and gave me back $300, almost $300. That is incredible. The largest donation you can make on my website is $100 without clicking the other amount, and then you can put in... I guess whatever you want. How awesome is our father? And now I get to give my mom her money back exactly like I told her I would. And it just gets even more amazing. I'm just getting ready to get in the shower. I'm, I'm crying because of God's faithfulness and just thanking him and then burned calls. And I take the phone and I know he's probably going to want to you know, ask if I have any help. And I said, Burn, you know, how are you doing? What's going on? He goes, Mike... He said, I found a solution. I just wanted you to know. And I said, what's that, brother? He said, I went down to the hospital and checked myself in. I'm going to go through a 21, the full 21 to 28 day detox. He said, I've decided I want to go through the whole thing, the whole get sober. And I said, oh, man, awesome, awesome. And um, he just and I said, brother, I'm proud of you, man. And I told him, you know, hold on to Jesus Christ. Get in that Bible every minute he has. And I said, brother, stand on my prayers. I will pray for you every 21 or whatever, however many days, 21 to 28 days, 
you go through the program and he asked me to pray for uh, Amberlyn, his his uh, fiance and her kids. And I said, I absolutely will. And I said, I'm so glad God brought us together today. And he just started to cry. And he said, thank you, man. He said, I'll, I just wanted to keep you posted. I'll let you go and I'll talk to you soon. Bye. And I'm like, God, look at what God did. Look at what God did because I waited. I, I moved when God told me to move. And I waited when God told me to wait. And instead of me just picking up the phone and calling and saying, sure, come stay with me. I prayed and I said, God, I want your answer, not mine. I need you to tell me what to do in this situation. This is not just a hand up person, a loaf of bread situation. I don't have to pray about that. God, this has got hair on it. I need you to tell me what you think. And look at how I went on a bike ride and prayed down at the river. And by the time I get back from my bike ride, God has taken care of everything. Amazing how amazing our God is. I went to my parents' house tonight to eat dinner, and I was going to watch America's Got Talent. And we couldn't get the DVR thing, the on-demand to work. So I said, well, Lord must have different plans. Came home, sat down, and was starting to memorize, using the My Memorize app. Started thinking about the fact that I received this check for $287 today, and I thought, what an odd number that is. I said, Lord, there is a, I felt like, is there a number? And I just felt moved, like to go start looking to see if that's a number. I get to Psalm 28, verse 7. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in Him and I am helped. My heart leaps for joy. And I will give thanks to Him in a song. And that is exactly what I did. I praised the Father in a song and just praised Him and praised Him uh, earlier today. That is so awesome. It's like God let me know He is always taking care of me. I mean, that's just incredible. I mean, not like I haven't seen this a hundred times. But it never gets old. It's amazing, amazing. Today is July 19th, 2015. It's 10.36 in the morning. I just rode my bike all the way down to the Tennessee River again. It, I was just down here praising God again. And I just wanted to capture again how this spirit of being so willing to wait for the Lord, the patience and the contentment in me just continues to grow. Uh, it's amazing. It is amazing. And God is to be praised. I... I'm finding contentment in my ministry, like I have no need, no desire to have my name or uh, even impact lots and lots of people. I obviously have a desire to do so, but my willingness is, that's just out of the heart of Christ in me. I'm willing to, to do it according to the way the Father wants me to do and according to His timing. And uh, I have been just amazed at the um, patience and the contentment and I find myself really just blessing God over and over as I realize how long it took to get here and even this week as just an update I I told the Lord I said Father you, you've made me wait so long for Laura I don't even need her anymore I mean I literally told I told the Father that this week that wouldn't be something I would want to tell 
Laura without explaining it to her, but it's just, I said, Lord, I just, I feel so content. You know, I'm, I'm quite certain that I could live the rest of my life being single. Um, I still think about her, you know, pretty much every day, I would say. Um, but there's just this contentment that, it's funny, I, I shared this exact thought with my stepfather the other night, and he goes, maybe you don't need her anymore, but maybe she still needs you. And I thought, wow, what a wonderful, what a wonderful thing to say and, and to think. And may it, may it be that the Lord does want me in her life to be uh, her spiritual head and to help lead her into deeper waters than she's ever been with Him and to be um, a father figure and a discipler to her children. And uh, so, and to be her best friend and her lover and all of those good things that come along with it. And I say that and I feel that little spark in my belly you know, but I'm just still so content to wait for her, and and even for my children. I mean, God has just given me so much patience. My stepfather, I think, got a little anxious this week, and my said how much he misses the children. And my mom has been crawling the walls for in the past months, and really in the last couple of months, she's had a greater level of patience come upon her, and she still thinks we're going to get the kids this summer, and I don't really know either way, um, you know. But I. I just feel a contentment like there's a like God is so in control and it's not just one of those moments you know this has been going on now for for months and years really but there's just a there's a maturity there's a there's a I don't know how to a completeness to it that there's never been before and I feel like you know while now is probably when I've gotten closer to being able to receive these things than ever before because Whatever God gives me now, I'm completely content with or without it. And isn't that exactly how the Father wants us to live? Doesn't He want us to not put our hope in things, but to fix our hope fully on the grace that's been given us in Christ when He comes back and is revealed, and to be content and not desire the things of the world? And You know, I almost feel like now the Lord would, when He gives me Laura, it'll just be like a surprise. I mean, it's like I'm not sitting around anymore I'm not looking for her every day anymore. I'm not going, oh, could that be her? Is this going to be her? Is today going to be the day? And I think back on, even when I had maturity in Christ, even when I'm able to endure suffering and all this, as it relates to the Laura thing, I look back on how many times where I was just too anxious. I wanted it too bad. And you know, you can't just get that out of yourself. You have to let the Lord work it out of you by His Spirit and through brokenness. And... He has definitely done a mighty work in my heart. I think to myself all the times where I thought, well, yeah, I, I can handle her now. I'm ready for her now. And, you know, I still would have put too much emphasis on on, on it. And um, it's just incredible. It's just, I just got us to be praised. If, if people will just endure, get through the days where it seems black and nothing feels good. You have to go through a lot of days that don't feel good to get to where the things in your life that you need to feel good no longer need to be there in order for you to feel good. <laughs> incredible. God is to be praised. Today is uh, July 22nd, 2015. It's 12.08. I'm just finishing up a prayer walk. I've listened to the whole book of Mark this morning and I feel like I'm getting ready to probably start it over again. And I feel like I'm supposed to just get as much of knowledge of Jesus Christ's word in my heart and just continue to just memorize it and soak my brain with it. And I just want to capture this recording about a little bit of anxiety that I've had in the last 24 hours about 
God speaking to me with the numbers. I've been reading Zach Poonin, who I have so much respect for, his book on finding God's will in various matters. And one of the things he talks about is the difference between God, God's guidance externally and God's guidance internally. And I have talked about this as well. I've, I'm aware of this. And uh, anyhow, so I was... Um, listening to it, and he was talking about that external guidance is for the immature, those who are not mature, but those who've learned to hear from the Spirit, you have the Spirit of the living Christ living in you. And I thought, my goodness, that makes complete sense to me. I said, in fact, I've often told people, I think the reason why God has used numbers with me is is so that it's so black and white, and because I'm weaker than most. And so I was just thinking about that, and I actually became a little bit discouraged. I feel like I've been, been being under attack with doubt and it made me question the whole thing. There was doubts of, what if you're not hearing correctly from the numbers? What if, what if these, this is all just a farce? And there was just these moments of, you know, what if everything you've believed so far is wrong? And then I have to keep looking back at the fruit and then I go, but there's people who are rotten in God's eyes who still have fruit. And there was just all this like an avalanche of doubt. And I humbled myself. I said, Father... If I've made a mistake, if I'm wrong, God, please, I trust that you'll direct me and correct me. And, you know, I thought, Lord, you could be doing that with this Zach Poonin thing. And I said, but I don't know, Father, maybe this is something you're still doing with me because I have been isolated so much and I needed help. And so I have been, you know, the last part of yesterday, I was really humbled about that. And, and I just, you know, I... It's just amazing the doubt, you know, because still nothing that God has told me is going to come true has come true. I, I still don't have my children. I still don't have any finances, although I've seen him do small financial provisions for me. You know, like last week I offered to give $100, I borrowed $100 from my parents to give to the homeless guy and then to Burned. And then I got a $287 check the, the same day. The same day that I had given that money. My mom put it in my account. I told her I'd pay her back. I'm pretty sure it's the same day. Maybe it was the next day. Anyhow, yeah, I think it was the next day. The next day is when I got the money. So I've, I've seen all kinds of things like that. Um, but I can see how the enemy tries to attack me in multiple ways. I also am discouraged this morning a little bit and feel a little bit just... It's, it's an ugly feeling. I wish I could say, oh, this stuff doesn't affect me. I can't. It does affect me, and I've tried to uh, counsel a young lady named Crystal, who I've known works at the Starbucks for three years. She's going to get married to a guy she works with, and she's come with, to me a couple of times and mentioned about how, you know, they're unequally yoked. He doesn't believe in Jesus, and, you know, and, and she's not going to back off on her side. He's not back off on her side, but they love each other. They're going to get married and all that, and she's was telling me how people at church have come to her and tried to talk her out of it. And she's a strong-willed person. She doesn't like to be told what to do. And you can just tell that about her. She thinks that she's, everything's okay, and I've got it, and I'm good, and I don't need your counsel, I don't need your input. And so I felt like I was led to share with her um, the dangers of this. And I heard an amazing message by Zach Poonin about it and about how God will test you in this and how you're not to marry somebody that doesn't have your nature. And he does not have... Her nature because he's not a Christian. So I sent her this message and she wrote back last night, you know, 
I'm offended that you sent a second message. Matt's offended because you've talked to him. And all I was was just nice to him and said, congratulations. What am I supposed to tell a guy who doesn't believe in the Bible? Hey, you know, you can't be unequally yoked. So anyhow, um, it was really disappointing. And I realized that, you know, I've done my part. And I just really hate it when I see that people cannot hear the truth. And I'm a guy who's trying so desperately to help people learn from my mistakes and so I'm just, all right, Lord, what are you, you know, what are you teaching me about this? And I see Zach's frustration, you know, when he talks about people that have been sitting in his church for years and they still don't get it. So, just been a little bit of a, a downer, uh, and now I'm just keeping my eyes back on him and and doing, trying to do what he's asked me to do. I think I've been vulnerable because I've been doing what I think is important rather than what God thinks is important. Meaning. Even good God things that He doesn't ask me to do are still not good things. So, there you have it. Uh, this is something really special that just happened. Very special. It's 11.28 on July 23rd, 2015. I had an amazing morning of prayer this morning. Um, walking around the house, God literally just filled me up to overflowing in the Spirit. It was absolutely amazing. I haven't had that happen in, I'd say couple of weeks where just the spirit just gives me such unbelievable power i pray every day throughout the day but this was about a 30 to 45 minute prayer time and i spent a lot of time thanking god for laura and the kids and the promises and i talked to god about laura and i said father i pray your forgiveness on the times i've doubted god i recognize that over the last three years just as you paraded all these animals before adam and the principle that he could not find one of his own nature and because he didn't choose one of those, you made and gave him your very best and you've paraded in front of me all these beautiful creatures that don't have my nature and I've said no with your help to all of them waiting for your very best. And this morning I was just confessing my faith to him. I'm so thankful for Laura and for the faith to continue to believe. Here it is three years next month since I laid eyes on this beautiful woman that I've now been loving from afar and being loyalty to loyal to for three years. So I read, I finished Finding God's Will this morning. <clears throat> I read the entire book of 1 Corinthians. Then I finished reading the most of the book of Finding God's Will by Zach Poonin. And then I was, from one book to the other, I was prompted to finish reading Sex, Love, and Marriage. And as I'm reading, I'm reading the part in the book where he is talking about God's absolute ability and the necessity to trust God alone for your mate. That's the same thing I've been trying to tell people. You don't run to these websites. You don't let other people pick. You trust God and you wait for His very best and you patiently wait and you trust Him. He was explaining how God can providentially direct that person. He gives uh, three excellent books for young people. They should read about this. The Triumph of John and Betty Stamm by Miss, Miss Howard Taylor, Shadow the Almighty by Elizabeth Elliot, and Hudson Taylor and Maria by J.C. Pollock. And of course, I know several other marriages like Charles and Susanna Spurgeon, and um, uh, D.L. Moody and his wife, George Mueller and his wife. Uh, I'm trying to think, there was another one. But anyhow, they were all providentially brought together by God. And he basically says these words, we must be willing to trust God. The Bible says without faith it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would come near to God must necessarily believe that He is the rewarder of those who earnestly and diligently seek Him. 
Hebrews 11.6. In the last few days, I have felt prompted to make sure I don't waver in my faith and I've apologized this morning to the Father for any moments I've doubted and I asked Him to please not reward me according to my doubt but according to His goodness and His mercy in my life and for His glory. And um, as I read this, it was 11.22, which is Jesus saying in Matthew 11.22, Have faith in God. I'm sorry, Mark 11.22. And then, um, so I read on, it says, uh, If you earnestly seek to do all His will, He will undoubtedly bring the person of His choice to you. Let it be by any means, through parents, friends, or directly. In my case, it was directly. Leave it to Him to choose the method. In His appointed time, He will give you all of your heart's desire. Psalm 37.4 So I finished reading this, and he's talking about Again, just the need to be patient and wait upon, wait upon God. I decided it's time to go get some exercise. <clears throat> I put the book up and I begin to pray. And as I'm praying, I'm walking around. I make one lap here in my house praying, thanking God for Laura. Just really thanking Him. This is incredible how God does this. It's absolutely amazing. It's absolutely unbelievable how I can confess, Father, I have struggled, you know, to believe God and I've, I've had moments of doubt in God. I've just continued to persevere and I've been so tempted to give up thinking about Laura, so tempted to just choose someone else. And just over the last month, honest to goodness, I found such a contentment in my heart, deeper than it's ever been to the point where I've told the Father twice, Lord, I do not need Laura. I need you and you alone, God. And I just told him yesterday, Father, I can live the rest of my life single. I literally said that. I said, God, I can live the rest of my life single, Lord. I don't need to have Laura. Father, I can, I can, I'm fine. I'm, I'm perfectly happy and content. And, um, man, I just tell you two Sundays in a row down at that Tennessee river, I've made recordings about this amazing contentment that has washed over my heart, that has been so, so peaceful and so wonderful that it made me almost worry because I haven't been praying for and about Laura every single day and I've been thinking about her maybe less than I'd like to. And I said, Lord, I don't want this to be that I'm giving up on her. I just feel so content that I could live without her for the rest of my life. And literally just yesterday told the Father this. And then this morning, God just filled me with faith to reconfess her, to continue to ask and continue to wait for her, and continue to just remain eyes only for her. And then as I set and made my first lap, set that book down, Gustavo texts me, I'm going to make my phone, I'm going to grab my phone to make this recording not knowing what was about ready to happen with Gustavo, as I'm reaching for my phone, it lights up with Gustavo. He says, as you just texted me, I just passed this. And it's a picture of a number 212 on a door. And he has granted you the desires of your heart. He has not withheld the request of your lips. After I had just read and confessed Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. I have delighted myself fully in the Father. I have found my fullness and my completeness in Him. 
It has taken me three years to do it. Three years to find a place of such contentment where I literally said with no emotion attached to it whatsoever, meaning not in a moment of a high, God, I can live without her. I had told my parents this last week. My stepfather says, maybe you don't need her anymore, but she needs you. And I thought, wow, what an amazing thing. My stepfather instantly responded like that. And I wasn't saying this to be uh, in, a, in an unkind or uncaring or undesirous way of Laura. I'm simply saying I have found this unbelievable contentment. God has broken me of my need to be married, of my need to have somebody. I have found such a fullness of joy in my Father. I am so delighted in His Word and the work that He's called me to do and the lives that He's helping me to change. I'm delighted. But yet, and here's the final and the most important thing. I pleaded with the Father this morning. I mean, I pleaded with Him. I approached Him in one of those very boldly, boldly ways this morning. And I said, God, give me Laura, my wife. I literally asked him over and over. I said, Father, not for my sake, for your sake. And I begged the Father. Yes, I love her. And yes, I've learned to have this Father agape love where I'm not getting anything in return from her. I needed to have that kind of love for her. Not the infatuation that I saw in her in the first moment I saw her. But no, something much deeper that's now been able to wait For three years, infatuation dies after three days or 30 days if you're not able to be around the person. What I have is that agape love, which is exactly what Zach talks about in his book. And I said, God, give her to me that you would be glorified. I want to have this story to tell of your glory. I want to have people say, wow, look at this. This guy made his life achieved what everybody thinks is the good life, lost everything, threw himself at the mercy of God, surrendering it all, and then everything was taken away, and chased after God, and look at what God did after several years of him delighting himself. God finally, after years of ridicule, after years of a loss of dignity, after years of being made fun of, shamed, rejected, told that I'm not hearing from God, told that I'm insane, all that stuff, God comes through. And I said, not for my honor, God, only my honor so that you can be honored. Only honor me, Father, so that you can be honored. And I just belted this out to the Lord this morning. God, give her to me, Father. Give me this good wife of a noble character. And sure enough, I saw 955 this morning on my phone. And I'm like, God, thank you. A wife of noble character is her husband's crown. And so this is just wonderful. Just wonderful. To see how God has continually encouraged me and helped me to maintain my faith. Nobody should ever think that I had the faith to believe for Laura or for my children or for the finances or for whatever results we have in this ministry because God himself has sustained me by this, his grace, showing me, strengthening me. And God is to be praised God is to be praised. Oh my goodness, I am I am completely cracking up. It is 10:47 in the morning on July 25th, 2015.
<laughs> I cannot believe this. I'm reading Zach Poonin's book. One of many of his books. I'm reading one called Gaining God's Approval. He makes the major point that God tests the righteous. He tests us. All the time he's testing us. I've been pretty aware of this. Jeremiah 20.12 directly says such a thing. So he goes through... (laughs) He goes through Job's tests and he looks at what Satan does to Job. And he lays out steps one through four of how Satan attacks Job. So I read the first one, I'm like, wow, that's kind of interesting. That's kind of, that's exactly what happened to me. I read step two, step three, step four. I'm like, are you kidding me? Satan's first step, strike all Job's possessions. As that relates to me, I lost everything, starting with the revelation business failure. Literally started to lose everything that I'd worked so hard for. Step number two, Satan's second step, strike Job's health. In December 2007, I had a terrible freak dirt bike accident. I was laid up for six weeks after surgery, and I delayed having surgery by, I think, at least three weeks. So it was a total of like nine weeks of being completely laid up, three broken ribs, and a three-piece collarbone that was broken so bad I had to have surgery and have hardware put in. And I sat around for nothing. Then, shortly near the time of separation, I had this terrible pain in the bottom of my foot that I could hardly walk on. My stomach was always having this pain and this like, uh, not like a, like upset stomach nerves. There was a pain like in a, like a, like a hernia type thing in my stomach. And I had blurriness, I believe in my left eye. I can't remember which eye. I believe it was my left eye. It was always blurry, couldn't see, and it was starting to really cause me panic. I remember going up front in a church service and I said, I am sorry, I need help. I cannot see very clearly out of my left eye. It's been like this way for days and days and I have something seriously wrong. And within a matter of a couple of days, that had gone away. That was the biggest health scare I've ever had. I mean, I, I could say, well, you know, you were the one that got on the dirt bike. But as it relates to the eyeball... You know, the eye is so precious and I couldn't see and it was it was really, really a very frightening thing that happened. Then thir- Satan's third step is to afflict Job through his wife, Job 2.9. And I write as a, in a text to a friend, no details necessary here, LOL. <laughs> By all means, <laughs> oh man. By all means, <laughs> that is the... That's the superstar step for me. My ex-wife afflicted me in ways that I could not even imagine. And now six years later, it has not stopped. Uh, Albeit though God's given me much rest from it. Satan's fourth step, he writes these exact words. Accuse Job through his preacher hyphen friends. Job's chapter 4 to 25 His closest friends, or my closest friends, told me, this would be, I don't even want to name their names in case this ever becomes public. My closest friends told me that I was wrong, that I was not hearing from God correctly, and I was way off base. 
Then the men in my Bible study who I poured my life and heart into for a year, teaching them the teachings of Christ, turned against me, falsely accused me, said I was violating God's word exactly like Job's friends, that I had sinned, and if I'll turn from my sin, God will restore and bless. They said the exact same thing to me, and it got so bad that I had to leave them. I had to literally say, I'm out, I'm not hearing this anymore, and I left and stopped the whole Bible study. Then, my own pastor, when I said that the church was living, uh, that I was leaving the church because I found too many people in the church that were living, drastically separating faithfulness from faith. They were not living faithful to God. He wrote me back, uh, he told my mom weeks afterwards, after having never replied to me, he never replied to me at all, to my email. And I wrote it in love. And he told my mom one day, he said, Michael is not only wrong, He's dead wrong. So when I went through this list, I literally started to crack up praising God because I think to myself, how unbelievable is this? That if I would have read this book, this is what's so amazing to me is that God works the same way in people's lives all over the place. Now, I'm not saying he works in nominal Christian lives. He did not work in my life like this when I was a nominal, worthless watered down, lukewarm Christian. And I thought I was a good Christian, but from God's perspective, I was a completely carnal Christian. God was not working in my life like this. But when I began to really take God seriously more and more and growing in my faith, and in those last couple of years before my marriage went down, I had been reading the Bible every day and I had been hungering and thirsting for more of God for quite some time. And so I've been taking my faith much more seriously in him. All right, now, God never afflicted me in those, those other ways um, in the past so much like he had when I began to really take my relationship with God seriously. But what's amazing to me is that if somebody would have given me this book six years ago, I could have read these four points and the stories under them, and, and literally I could have prophesied and predicted exactly what would happen in my life over the next six years. I mean, that is just mind-blowing. This shows me, again, how much God operates based upon principles and how much He does and interacts the same way with people throughout all of creation. Now, the circumstances may be different. One person's circumstance may be this, another person's circumstance may be that. But for those who are righteous, and the circumstances, the size of them may be bigger. So, for example, one person losing their job, that may be the equivalent of them losing everything. That may be the center focus, and that may be their rock that they're standing on, and God allows that to be struck. Whereas for me, He literally stripped me of everything. So, again, it's all relative, but the principles are there. Those who desire to be uh, to live godly in Christ Jesus, they'll not only be persecuted, it's very clear in Scripture, they're tested and, and Satan is allowed. Hence the reason I say that in the hands of the living God, in the life of an on-fire, sold-out, obedient Christian filled with the Spirit of Christ, not perfect, not mature, but somebody working their way there, the devil is a blessing. And this is a proof because he's a tool in God's hand. I think of how much 
it's becoming true. God gave me a promise. God spoke a promise to me in Job 5.22. And he said to me, you will laugh at destruction and famine. And you need not fear the beasts of the earth. And I've had destruction in my life. And this recording starts out with me laughing. And I've been laughing thinking about it. God has come true on his word. I have laughed. I have laughed at destruction because when you realize that the destruction was meant for your good, when you realize that the destruction is not destruction for destroying, it's a tool for tearing down step one, step two, to be built back up. That's what God does in the lives of those who are the righteous. He uses destruction, calamity, adversity, frustration. He uses disillusionment. He uses affliction. He uses sickness. He uses all of the devil's favorite ways as tools in God's hand to shape us into the image of Christ Jesus. Six years ago, if I would have seen these four steps that Satan took Job through and now has clearly taken me through... And somebody could have showed me what I was maybe going to go through. I think I probably would have panicked. Now, there's a part of me that's a major risk taker. I'm willing to be the first guy to jump. That's always been in my nature. And I'm willing to hit the big jump on the motocross track when maybe my friend wouldn't. I'm, I'm that risk taker guy. But even still, if somebody would have shown me how hard it was going to be, how difficult, how dark, how long, how painful, I think I would have panicked. So it's God's wisdom that he hid these things from me. But looking back, even now in this very moment, I'm able to praise God for him revealing to me, which I find so often he does, that one of the principles of God is he does a work in your life and then he will open your eyes after the fact to the work that he has done. He'll let you see this was a very intentional, very methodical, very strategized, very planned work and way that I planned for your life. This did not happen by accident. Man, if I could get people that contact me that are falling out of the sky, woe is me, my life will never be happy again, I'm never going to have enough money to be okay, I'm always going to feel lonely, I'm always going to be sick, and this fear and this just despondency to the affliction in their life and being beat down and defeated and no victory and disillusion. If we could just learn to yield ourselves in our way fully to God, God says, I have a program for this. I have a process. I'm going to use the devil in your life. But look, the key to getting all the way through the devil's steps in your life, which are ordered by me, is to respond correctly, to respond in a godly fashion. Not to respond grumbling and complaining and fighting, like fighting the cross. No, you lay your hand up there and you let the nail go through. You don't fight it. I mean, can you imagine what it would look like a martyr who's being died for his, killed for his faith in Christ and he's screaming and crying and wailing and please don't do this to me. Uh, where is the honor in that? Who wants to be the person who dies like that and stands before Jesus in just a few moments and Jesus is over there scratching his head going, Whew, man, you just barely got by in that one, buddy. You know, I mean, how would, that, how would that make the Lord feel if he sees us 
kicking and screaming and fighting our cross and grumbling and complaining and moaning, what does that say about our faith? A carnal Christian would say, Mike, that's unrealistic. I mean, who can really feel? That's a person who doesn't really fully know Jesus Christ yet, who doesn't have the Spirit of Christ living in them in such a way that they would have spiritual maturity and that they're doing God's will rather than theirs. And they have poor understanding. This was me, 19 years. Guilty. Ding, 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 ding. So if you can't see it now, you have to believe it by seeing it in the lives of other people. You have to believe the testimony of those ahead of you. You can't say, because I don't feel it, because I don't understand it, because I haven't experienced it, it must not be real. I don't feel like that, so maybe you feel like that. That must mean it's not available for me to feel like that. Well, maybe it's not now, but you have to ask yourself, principle number one, is God a God of favoritism, yes or no? Is God a God of impartial favor? No. He gives everyone the same opportunity, not the same missions, but he gives everyone the same spirit, he gives everyone the same amount of time, and he gives everybody the same commands. Everybody has the same commands. And so we have to look and say, just like Paul says, look at me, consider my way of life, and put into practice what you have seen me do. As I mimic Christ, you mimic me. He says, I'm your living example. I'm the proof that Jesus is not the only one who could live like Jesus. I mean, that's profound. Paul is starting this going, look, Jesus didn't come and set some bar that nobody could ever reach. I've reached it. Follow me, he says. Look at my example. That's why he didn't just say, look back at Jesus, because it would be easy to say, well, that's Jesus. I'm not Jesus. I can't follow... So what you're saying is Jesus came to ask us to do things that we could never do. And he didn't have the power to enable us to do that which he commanded. We know that's not true. Logic tells us that's not true. But even more importantly, we have evidence when we look around in the stories and the lives and the testimonies and the victorious living of other Christians... The Hudson Taylors, the George Muellers, we can look at their lives, the Zach Poonins, the Charles Stanleys. We can look at these people and say, wow, they've achieved a measure of God's spirit. They've achieved a measure of spiritual maturity. They've achieved a measure of understanding, a measure of holiness, a measure of faithfulness, a measure of purity of heart that I desire, but I've never believed is possible. But I have to say, if Tozer's testimony is that he's able to live like this, well then, what's preventing me from living like this? If George Mueller is able to live in total faith and dependence upon God and never ask another human being for money, totally trusting God and proving that faith alone in God is all you need, why can't I do that? Does God look down and say, no, 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 Michael, that was only for George. Don't go there. Don't try that. That's not, that's just, that's just for George. Certain things may be just for George. I wouldn't expect that if people started passing around my handkerchiefs, people would be, be healed. That was just for Peter, or rather just for Paul. Same thing with Peter's shadow. God could do it if he wanted to, but that's not what he's necessarily given me now. But as it relates to principles of God's word, matters of faith, matters of holiness, matters of obedience, matters of purity of heart, matters of living according to the Spirit, These things are expected of everyone who calls themselves by the name of Jesus Christ. And so it is amazing to me to see these principles, and I've been seeing this for the last few years. I'm reading the testimonies of great men and women of God who've already usually passed on, and I say, wow, 
God has worked exactly like that in my life. How is this possible that I'm reading this book by a dead guy and he's expressing a way of God that's identical to the way I have experienced God? And then, of course, today I say, wow, how is it possible that a man living halfway around the world was able to study the life of Job and pull out the steps and the principles of how God allowed the devil to test Job, and then for me to say, unbelievable. And so it has been with me in exact order and the exact way. That doesn't say anything special about me, except for the fact that I'm one of the righteous that's being tested. That's a Jeremiah 20.12. And we should all say, and we have all the ability to say, I am a righteous who is being tested. If we seek God with all of our heart, If we've been born again, the Spirit of Christ is in us. And if we are clinging to Him in steadfast faith, nobody is better than anybody. I am not better than anybody because I can conclude that God is doing the same thing with me as He did with Job. It doesn't mean, oh, me and Job. No, that doesn't mean that at all. It just means that that same principle, God in His loving kindness, is working into the life of a particular person who has trusted Him and has asked to become more like Jesus Christ. And I think that that gives such amazing evidence. The most important point of this would be the evidence. Imagine being able to sit down with a non-believer and say, do you want to see something amazing? Do you want to see something extraordinary that would maybe cause you to flirt with the idea of believing in God? Imagine this. Imagine I could sit down in the Bible and show you the oldest book in the whole Bible. The oldest book that predates the writing of any other book in the Bible is Job. Now imagine I could tell you this man's story, which is a story about God looking upon Satan and saying, Have you considered my servant Job, who is blameless and upright, walks before me and shuns evil? Have you considered him? And then God allows Satan to run this man through a series of tests, proving the argument between God and Satan, the argument being the only reason that he loves you and obeys you and walks blamelessly before you like this is because you have completely blessed his life. But turn your hand against his possessions and he will surely curse you. But turn your hand against his family, he will surely curse you. But turn your hand against his own health, he will surely curse you. Job tells him three times these things. And basically... What happens is God in his loving mercy allows this to happen and for me to then say to this non-believer, watch these steps that the devil was able to go through and then I can show you a historical journaled record account of my life dated and everything that happened in the exact same order thousands of years later and as a third party witness, this came to light by me reading a book by a man who lives in a country halfway around the world from me and who's been on the planet 30 plus years longer than me, who I've never met, I've never had any communication with. That is amazing.